Hey everyone, welcome back to the podcast. This week I am joined by Helen Tupper. Helen is the co-founder of Amazing If. She's a Sunday Times best-selling author and podcaster at Squiggly Careers, helping people to succeed and to navigate their careers. I really love the content that Helen creates on social media, on her podcast, the work that she does. I always say that the best advice is actionable, and that is what Helen is all about. Actionable, valuable, and useful info. So I really hope you enjoy this week's conversation. Let's dive in. Welcome to the Power Hour. I'm Adrienne Herbert, wellness coach, international speaker, and author. Each week, I speak to a variety of guests, from business founders to Olympic athletes, leading coaches, changemakers, and innovators, to find out their daily habits, their rules to live by, and what motivates them to get up out of bed each day. Personally, I am on a mission to encourage, motivate, and inspire, so I hope that the Power Hour will help you to achieve your personal and professional goals. Hi, Helen. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, it's great to connect. I know we connected actually last year. You kindly invited me to be a guest on your podcast. So it's nice for us to be able to switch it around today. And I'm asking you the questions. <laughs> Should I be scared? <laughs> no, I think this conversation is, well, firstly, I think it's very timely. Uh, but also, uh, this is selfishly, I was, you know, I've read your book, I've listened to your work. And I was like, I know there's so many things I could talk to you about. So I've really, really been looking forward to it. But I guess before I dive in with my first big topic, I'd love it if you could, I guess, give the listeners a little bit of an insight if they're not familiar with you and your work. Uh, if you could just tell us a little bit about the work that you do. Yeah, absolutely. So I co-founded a company called Amazing If with my business partner and friend, Sarah Ellis. And our mission is to make careers better for everyone, which we recognise is sort of almost impossible. But I think we quite like the challenge of that. And so we spend all of our time either trying to help individuals with you know things like our book and our podcast, just putting as much out as we can to help people with their careers, or we work with organisations running career programs, training, helping managers, helping people within the company. I just try and spend as much time as I can working on making careers better. Yeah, well, you're doing an awesome job. And, you know, the content that you put out on, on Instagram in particular, I really, really enjoy. And so the book, The Squiggly Career, Ditch the Ladder, Discover Opportunity, Design Your Career. And it says on the cover, the five skills you need to succeed in work today. Now, as I mentioned, I want to jump straight into quite a big topic, which is this idea of how to succeed and, and about success. Because I know, maybe speaking anecdotally myself, that my idea of success, I definitely think has been distorted. Now, whether that's because I am, you know, an A-type ambitious personality, or whether it's because of my peer group, you know, I, I work with a lot of people who are, you know, bringing out books that are best, you know, Sunday Times bestsellers or delivering TED Talks or running their own companies and raising millions of pounds in mm. their series B, you know, there's all these incredible people, which I'm so, so grateful to be to, you know, to work with and to know and to, to call friends. But I think as a result, you know, everyone, whoever, whatever industry you're in, 
whether you know whether you look left look right this comparison culture regardless of whether it's on social media or in real life can distort our idea of success now I saw online on Instagram, you'd, you'd shared a graphic about this and, you know, rethinking or, or redefining what does success look like for you as an individual and how do we kind of become okay with that's your version of success? It might be different to somebody else's. I think it's very, very difficult to do. So yeah, I'd love to start there. And if you could help me and all of the rest of the listeners of this show, that would be great. I will do. I will do my best. Um, so I think the first thing to say is that wanting to succeed isn't a bad thing. Like there's there's nothing wrong with wanting to be ambitious or wanting to be your best. I do think that it's different when you think about what does being my best look like versus being the best. As soon as we start trying to think, well, how do I become the best? I think that's where you do start to compare yourself to other people and measure your worth based on how you're doing in contrast to those people. And I think that can sometimes, it can lead to competition, which can be quite combative. Um, One of my favourite quotes is all about, you know, running your own race and really thinking about, well, what, what does success look like for me? And how can I find multiple ways to achieve that version of success. So I don't become dependent on any one one outcome. And that's really why we talk a lot about squiggly careers rather than people just climbing a ladder because the ladder was about one type of success, basically just becoming as senior as possible and all developing in the same direction. And that's not meaningful to everybody. That doesn't help everyone be their best. Whereas squiggly careers, you know, no two squiggles are the same squiggly careers are as individual as you are and what we need to help people to do is work out well what what does success mean to you why is it important which tends to get into some values type of stuff you know what really motivates and drives you and what are all the different ways that you can find that fulfillment so to give you an example for me success looks like uh, kind of having freedom and choice and control and achievement (laughs) no no small things (laughs) but There are lots of different ways that I can find that fulfillment. And what that means is if, you know, one of those ways doesn't work out for me, I'm not suddenly in sort of career doom and gloom because I've got there's other things that I'm working on. There's other possibilities that I'm exploring. And that that gives me more control, the awareness and then the multiple sources of success give me more control and mean that I kind of focus on my own race rather than competing with other people's version. Mm, yeah, I think that's really interesting, the the kind of focusing on yourself versus comparison, because also it's like, what does that comparison do for you? Like, how does it for some people, for example, they'll say, oh, you know, that makes me feel I don't know, demotivated, or it makes me feel like a failure if they see, you know, people in their space achieving. Whereas I'm definitely, I think maybe it's my personality and I'm very optimistic, but it kind of motivates and fuels me more when I see, okay, this person's doing that. I think, wow, like, you know, if they can achieve it, so can I. And I think it kind of, depending on your mindset and the way you approach it, looking to other people, as you said, I I guess sometimes can be valuable, but I think definitely the key takeaway is that, yeah, the individual, I like the idea that no squiggle is the same. And actually we're all, uh, you know, on this individual pursuit of our version of success. And also, you know, it's interesting then when you mentioned your values and freedom, uh, I think that's definitely one that I share with you. And I talk about this a little bit in my book is that when you, you know, for example, some 
metrics of success. I think I'm a kind of heroed and some are demonized. So for example, some people might say, I want to have global impact. And people say, oh, you know, round of applause. Very good. But sometimes people say, oh, you know, I want to earn a lot of money and have financial security. And people are like, oh, your value is money. And it's kind of like, you know, no one's allowed to admit that. Um, and for me personally, you know, I definitely think that that is, it's kind of a, an apex, you know, like money can give you freedom. Money can give you choices and money can give you agency over your life. And, you know, I, I've spoken about this before, but growing up, you know, I was raised by a single mother who in a low income household and she didn't have agency or choices or freedom because as a result of not having money. So I think when I think about, yeah, I don't know what you think about this idea of money being demonized as a goal, but I think if you define what your idea of success is, if it includes a a particular financial goal, that's okay too. You don't have to pretend that, oh, money doesn't matter if you're talking about values. What do you think? Yeah, well, I think values are almost neutral. I mean, they don't feel neutral. They feel really important because that's the point. They're what makes you, you. But when I say they're neutral, there aren't good and bad values. Like if somebody has got success as a value and someone else has got honesty or integrity or loyalty, that that doesn't make them a better person than the person who has got success as a value. It's Mm. just what makes them, them. I do sometimes think um, with something like money that it's useful to think about what does money represent. So money for some people may be a value, but I often think it's the meaning behind the money that's the most important. So for example, is it about, you know, money buys me stability or money Mm. buys me security or money buys me achievement? Because sometimes it's it's not the money, it's what it represents. And when you understand what that thing represents, then again, there could be more ways that you could find fulfillment. So if it's stability or security, maybe there are other ways that you could do that rather than just being so singly focused on money. Or if it's about achievement, maybe there are other ways that you can find achievement in your life. We're we're always talking in my work about not creating too many development dependencies, whether that's, you know, on a manager or a company or a single version of success, the more that you can understand yourself and the more ways that you can find fulfillment from the people you work with and where you work and what you work on, the more resilient you are to all of the like inevitable changes and so many of the things that are out of our control in our careers as well. Yeah, I mean, well, that is literally the perfect segue onto the next thing that I wanted to talk to you about, especially when you talk about, you know, if you work in an organisation or being dependent on maybe a manager or an employer. And it's this idea that, you know, I was, I was described in, in an article earlier this year as the epitome of a digital entrepreneur, which I thought was very cool. Was, <laughs> Thank you. I was like, that is very cool. I'm going to copy and paste that into my bio <laughs> right now. And it basically, it was quite a complimentary article saying, you know, oh, Adrienne, you know, she's got the podcast, she's got the book, she's running, she's got a child she's doing it all and like I said it I mean of course like I said very complimentary I'm very grateful I will take that compliment instead of trying <laughs> to be um self-deprecating uh, but I think sometimes it's hero just like you know we especially for women you know you can be multifaceted you can have a career you can raise the children you can I don't know do a, a TED talk you all these things and it's celebrated especially now uh, you know as being multifaceted multi-hyphen whatever you want to call it which I think definitely suits me you know it suits my personality and it definitely suits my career journey but the guest on the podcast last week Amit he recommended a book um uh, titled one thing and straight away I downloaded it on audible I've almost finished it in a week of course I have um and it was really (laughs) challenging me because the idea of it is that 
actually focusing on one thing, doing that thing really, really well. And, and it doesn't mean that you just do one thing in isolation, you do anything else, but it means you prioritize one thing. So what is the one thing, you know, the, the most obvious thing that you could start with? And, you know, it's almost like the, the one thing you're focused on and then everything else, you know, takes second place as opposed to my approach, which probably sometimes means that I'm splitting my time, my energy, my focus across multiple things. So I'd love to hear from you, Helen, about, I guess, both of those, you know, this focusing on one thing versus the multi-hyphen method and yeah, any advice that you, that you could give about either of those. Yeah. So I think there are pros and cons and I don't think, um, you know, there's a single version that's right, right for everyone. Focusing on one thing, which sometimes gets called being a specialist is, is right for some people. They can develop deep expertise in a subject that they're passionate about. And, and that's great. Um, and that doesn't that doesn't have to limit anybody in their career. I think the the watch out for somebody who thinks, oh, there's one thing that I, you know, I really want to deeply um, focus my career on and be that specialist in that thing. The, the watch out there is when expertise becomes someone thinking of themselves as the expert. And a lot of the research around this, the mindset point that you mentioned, which is when you start to hold yourself in your mind as the expert on, you know, whatever, whatever the thing is that people do in their career, um, you actually start to really limit your learning because you stop being curious. You say, well, I don't need to learn anymore because I am the expert. You stop asking for yeah. feedback because you think, well, what have you got to teach me? And I think that's when our ego and fixed mindset starts to really hold us back. So, you know, go be a specialist, but just keep learning because, you know, your strengths, your strengths won't stay still. You'll stagnate if you stop learning. And I think that's the that's the important consideration for those people that want to be kind of deep, deep in a subject matter. And then the people that are more generalist, maybe that's like you and me, we like, you know, I've, I've done lots of different things and we do lots of different things in our days. I think the, and that's great. If you've got the energy to do it, that's really important. I think the the thing that the watch out for people who may share that with you and me is the ability to connect dots and have a narrative that people can understand. Because, you know, mine is all about, you know, the reason I do a podcast and I write a book and I write sessions and whatever else I do and work for a charity, my the thing that connects my dots is making careers better for everyone. And it starts to make sense for people when they see all of my squiggliness, but they understand my narrative. Yeah, that's kind of the same for me. Sometimes when people say, oh, you do so many things. I say, yes, I do. But the thread throughout all of it, I think, as you described, the narrative really hasn't changed in in 10 years. You know, when I think back to personal training or group fitness or, you know, first writing um, a blog and articles to all the things that I do now, actually, the thing that hasn't changed is motivating and encouraging people in whatever way, whether it's a fitness goal, whether it's a career goal, whether it's um, a, a personal professional, I want to essentially encourage people. I say, if I could, I'd be a professional encourager because essentially oh, that, that is my thread throughout everything. Yeah. Like I'm like, what a great, you know, fun job, but also it really does tick, you know, if I'm giving uh, a keynote or if I'm writing a book, the thread is always the same. How can I encourage and how can I motivate people and give them actionable skills, tools, whatever to pursue their goal? So yeah, I guess you could, once you distill that down, whatever that is for each person, then maybe thinking about, as you, as you mentioned with the one thing and the specialist route versus the more general route, and maybe it's, yeah, personality as well plays into which one is better for you. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And do you know what I love about your example is it's so ownable. And I think we, when we are 
kind of navigating our way through our squiggly careers, the more that we can find, I kind of think of them as almost like sticky statements. So those things that sound like you and feel like you, and when you share it with other people, it is what they remember from you. And I think when you when you kind of connect the dots in the way that you've done, like as the professional encourager, that stuff sticks and it's what makes people stand out. And, and the great thing about that is when you have those strengths that stand out, more people match you to opportunities that require the things that only you can do. And it just starts to become really self-fulfilling for your career. Mm, yeah. And I really like that strengths part. You know, there's a, I enjoyed that part of the book about super strengths and really identifying what they are. And I often say that to people as well, you know, what is the thing that's very unique to you? And I, I don't want to do the whole, you know, find your USP, but I do think that finding that super strength, or maybe it's two or three, mm. that actually that combination together is, is what makes you unique. It's not finding one thing necessarily, but I really like that, that super strengths idea. So I guess, Moving on from that into future thinking, you know, I often talk about future thinking, trend forecasting, innovation, and, you know, the pandemic, let's be honest. I mean, I don't even know how long it's been now. I've lost lost track of the weeks and the months, but it has absolutely disrupted, revolutionized, whatever you want to call it, so many industries and the way people work. So for someone like you, who, you know, works with organizations about careers and individuals, that shift and that change that we've seen is so is so huge. I mean, who knows what it's what the the legacy and the, the impact is going to be longer term. But in the short short term, if people are working from home, I'm sure we can all agree on the pros and cons. You know, it's like, oh, isn't it great? You might have more time in the morning when you used to commute. Now you can do a workout or do a yoga class, or maybe it's I don't know. You know, you can be structure your time better. So maybe you want to take your lunch break and go in the garden. You know, there's all these things that people are like, oh, working from home, brilliant. But we also know the downside, right? You know, whether that's trying to manage family commitments, children, dogs, you know, trying to switch off from work when suddenly your work is in your home and it's all the, all the time there and feeling connected, whether it's through the internet, through your, you know, email, Slack messages, phone, WhatsApp, feeling that people are contacting you all the time and you kind of can't leave your work behind. And then I guess lastly, maybe something I definitely focus on more because I'm an extrovert and I love to be in the room with people is that will virtual, you know, these these Google Hangouts, these Zooms, what are we missing from the in-person connection? You know, like the, the ad hoc conversation when you're getting a coffee or the the meetings when you're difficult conversations, when you're all in a room or in an office or a studio trying to work on a problem as a group, you know, collaborative thinking and, and even leadership, you know, how these things will change if we switch to an online world. So I'd love to hear from you, Helen, about, it's a very, very long-winded question, but about the future of the work from home versus in office situation. Oh, do you know what? I'm fascinated about the whole thing. And like you've touched on so many different areas in terms of what you said there, you know, leadership and us as individuals and us as teams. I think I think it's this weird big social experiment that we're all we're all living through. But I, I actually think the word experiment is quite important in that I don't think that anybody quite knows what the right thing is to do right now. Mm. And so I think as individuals, we need to ask ourselves, well, you know, what does time well spent look like for me? And, you know, think about work and life in that context, not just work. Like, does does time well spent look like maintaining the exercise things or, you know, bringing back some form of commute, even if it's sort of like a fake one? I, I don't know, but like really think about, you know, if I was... If I could design my working week 
what would time well spent look like for me? And, you know, I don't know, like create a fake diary or something, but visualize what that looks like. Because I think we might have more choice about this than we've had in the past. Mm. If, but you've got to reflect on what that looks like for you. Or otherwise, I think you just fall into what everyone else wants you to do. And that's a bit dangerous because I think that's when we start to go back into old patterns of work that might not have worked for everybody. So individually, I think that's the that's the question to really ask yourself now. And then I think collectively, the question is, when are we better together? And that is a discussion that I think a team should have. Like, when are we better together? Are we better when we have a team meeting? Are we better when we need to come up with ideas? Um, are we better, you know, once every month or two to give each other a bit of support? Like, again, I think it's just that time well spent for me. And when are we better together? And to have an open conversation about that. But also not to set things in stone too much. I think one of the things that I've learned from being a mum of two young children is you can't really plan that far ahead because they just keep changing. Like you think you've got it all sorted and then the the sleeping changes or what, what, how they need to get to school changes. And I think you have to be continually open to adapting. And that's the other bit, I think. You can ask yourself those questions now what, what does time well spent look like for me? And when are we better together? But that might look different in six months, nine months, 12 months. So I think we have to keep asking ourselves and each other those questions and be prepared to change how we might be working in response to the answers that we get to. Yeah, I really like that idea, you know, constantly asking those questions, challenging ourselves and our thinking and our rethinking. I, yeah, I'm a big, big fan of that. And actually you touched on, you know, the word change and, uh, you know, I know there's been a lot of change, but I think sometimes change can kind of accelerate people into like, right, this is a fresh, you know, clean slate. It's a new opportunity. And actually, let's be honest, you know, I know a lot of people in the last year who have been made redundant. And so this idea of change has been thrust upon them. You know, it wasn't actually a choice, but now they're like, okay, I I need to make a change. I'm going to reflect and decide, you know, what do I actually want? It's almost like a reset. Whereas for others, I think, it seems like a really strange time to be, um, I guess, making changes or making decisions because everything is so unknown that it's like, is this really the best time for me to start thinking about starting a company or starting a podcast or leaving my job or or asking for flexible working? So I think it's, um, yeah, definitely interesting time for people to think about change. Yeah, I agree. It is. And change isn't easy. So I think uh, two things to think about if people think I'm in the midst of this change um, would be, first of all, what can I learn? like I always think like whether something is successful kind of kind of quote quote successful or whether something fails I think what matters more is what you learn from it what you learn from the situation what you learn from yourself so I think if you go into change thinking what what can I learn from this then then it never goes wrong really you can always you can always learn something and then the second thing that I think is if you're in the midst of change or you you can see change coming um, is where am I getting my support from? Because you don't have to go through that change and those hard times alone, thinking about a peer or a mentor or just a friend who is there at the end of your phone is so helpful when you're in those times that feel quite hard. Mm, yeah, for sure. And I think confidence is key as well. I was actually having a conversation this morning with a very good friend of mine and she's doing a really exciting uh, job at the moment. She works um, in in 
in theatre and performance and she's doing a really incredible job at the moment. And it's probably a job she's wanted to do, but now that she's doing it, it's almost like the doubt, the fear, you know, oh, I hope it goes well. I don't know if I'm doing a good enough job. And it kind of, you know, she feels out of her depth. And actually, I think confidence, I mean, sometimes I wish I could give a friend like her even half of the confidence of people that are less talented than her, because there's so many people who, if they are confident and they have conviction in their own capabilities and they, I think myself included sometimes, you know, I like to think I back up, you know, uh, talk the talk and walk the walk because I do the research and the homework. However, I do back myself sometimes and have that confidence to and conviction. So I think if someone is rethinking a change and they, you know, there's that self-doubt or that imposter syndrome or whatever, I think confidence could really help to just, you know, reevaluate, okay, what have you achieved in your life and how did you do it? You know, you did that work. I often say that to people, you did that work, you know, you got that experience or you got that degree or you, I don't know, got that promotion or whatever. So I know you talk about this as well in the book about success. So is there anything for someone listening to this who thinks, you know what? Yeah. Okay. I'm considering change, but maybe, maybe I'm not like Helen. Maybe I'm not like Adrienne. Maybe I can't do this and that. What do you think when it comes to to the self-confidence that they need? So I think there's two things here. One is a bit more kind of looking back and one's about how you can kind of look forward in terms of your success. The looking back bit is like be your own resilience role model. So we have all gone through hard times in work and life before, whether it was the the project that went wrong, the difficult manager you didn't get on with, or the colleagues that made you feel inferior. We've, We've all had it, if not all of them. And you got through it. You got through it, you grew through it, and you became better because of it. And you can be your own resilience role model if you recognize those moments in time. So look back and think about when was I resilient? How was I resilient? Because that will give you the belief that you can be so again. So that's the first thing. You know, you know yes, we can look to other people, but first of all, look to yourself because you've done a lot to get where you've already got. So that would be my first thing. And then the second thing, sort of more like sort of an, an in the present thing with your success. And we often recommend this to people is to reflect every day on three very small successes. So the, the reason for this is when people are trying to build their belief, sometimes what we do is we look to the really big, shiny successes. So we're like, when I'll be successful when? So it's either some really big, shiny success in the future that feels really, really far off, or it's something that was big and shiny that you've done in the past. And the, the slight challenge with that is, whilst you should totally be proud and you know shoot for those things, the problem is they don't come round very often And they don't always help you with the everyday challenges that you'll inevitably experience. And so what we need for everyday challenges is everyday successes. And if you can start to get into a habit, even if you just do it for two weeks, just to shine a spotlight on the work that you're doing well, but just write down at the end of the day, like three things that have gone well today. And it could be it doesn't have to be massive. The point is, it's sort of not massive, really. It's just you reflecting on what you do well. It might be, I got to every meeting on time, or I ticked off my to-do list, or I asked someone for feedback, or I gave someone feedback. It's it's that sort of stuff, because whilst you might not think that three small successes on a Monday makes a massive difference, when you've done 21 of them over a week, or 42 of them over two weeks, and you look at that, you start to see how significant all those small successes are for you and your career. Absolutely. I absolutely love that. And actually I was speaking to 
uh, a mentee that I work with recently. And you know, this idea that what I love about what you just said is that you're actually identifying what you're doing and what you're doing well. Because I think often if someone says, okay, I've got five things, 10 things, 20 things, however many things there are on your to-do list. Maybe let's say they're all work-related, but around those things, you might've done a multiple, you might've done loads of other things. So let's say you helped your neighbor out or you did three workouts this week, or you looked after your children and you did homework with them. Like all these things that are supposed to just fit around our to-do list of, of work. And then we say, oh, I haven't got anything done this week. I haven't achieved anything. You know, I didn't get anything done yesterday. And so I'll challenge and say to, say to this particular lady, I'm like, okay, what did you actually do yesterday? Give me a run through of your day. And it's like, oh, well, I got up and, you know, I took the kids to school and then I came back and then this happened. And throughout the end of the day, I'm like, okay, so you might not have got through all of your kind of work goals, but you have done so many things today. Where do you think those other things fit in? You know, it takes time and energy and focus to give to all of those things. So I really like that. And I want to share that with her because I think that'd be really useful for her to say, actually, you know, doing those things are, uh, those are successes, those are wins, as well as just, yeah, like you say, ticking off the big things. We sometimes in our team as well, we do like win of the week. So you go from this being sort of individual confidence to almost like collective confidence, because when you share just like a win of the week with each other, we sometimes do it over, you know, WhatsApp with each other, you start to be able to celebrate each other's successes as well. And I think that that feels really nice. And it becomes sort of like a consistent thing that you can do as a team. Yeah, that sounds great. I love that as well. At the fitness tech company I work for, we have fit legends every week. So every week people nominate other people who they've done something great. And then on a Monday, like our first kind of meeting, there's always a shout out to the fit legends. And I love that because again, it can be a small thing, a big thing, but it's just recognizing that, you know, we're all busy. There's loads going on, but week on week, there are things to, to highlight and celebrate. Helen, a little bit about the power hour. I mean, as I said, I mean, we've covered so much in this episode already. I feel like people, if you're out running or if you're walking your dog, then you're going to have to listen to this episode again when you've got a pen and paper so that you can jot down some notes because, yeah, such great advice from Helen. So let's talk a bit about the power hour. I'd love to know what the first hour of your day is like, what does it include, and how it sets you up for the day ahead. So I feel like this is going to be slightly annoying for some people that aren't early morning persons namely my business partner like every time I talk about my morning routine she's like you sound so annoying but I really like early mornings I've always been an early morning person so I set my alarm uh sometimes I don't really need to but I set my alarm for about 5 15 around that time sometimes I just wake up before then it's easier at the moment because it's sunny as well and I, I've also had no curtains up in my bedroom for, for decorating reasons for the past month so it's, it's been easier to get up earlier but yeah I get up early um, and I sort of partly do that for quiet time I feel like my day is full of so many other people whether it is my children or the work that I do but you know I love I love the work I do but it's full of lots of other people and that time I have in the morning between about five and six is my time and it's quite quiet and I love it and um, if my children are ever up I'm always slightly resentful that they've crept into that golden golden power hour yeah I'm like please please go back to bed so um this morning for example I got up I actually exercised this morning I um normally exercise towards the end of my day because I find it sort of gives me a bit of a boundary um but I'm actually really enjoying exercises in in the morning at the moment so I've got I've got Peloton so I went on that and um 
yeah, I just like the music. It makes me feel really happy first thing. Uh, yeah. And then it's sunny at the moment. So I actually went and sat outside and had some breakfast outside. Um, I was reading actually a bit of fitness fiction this morning. So not a work thing, but I had my breakfast outside. Um, it was just, like I say, nice and quiet, read my book. Mm. And then I went and went and got ready. And, you know, my little girl came into the bathroom. She got up too early, but she didn't, she didn't get into my, that special hour for me. And I think it sets me up for my day because I, I just feel like I've invested in myself. I feel like I've looked after myself and my mind just feels a little bit clearer. And I feel like I just got a bit more energy for the day. Mm, yeah no we're in the same absolutely in the same camp so don't worry about you know being the annoying early morning <laughs> smug that is literally me um but I like you know similar to you I like that highlighting that fact that solitude and quiet and kind of time for yourself you know it's not selfish or self-indulgent but having that time is so so important especially if you are you know a busy person kids work almost like the the hecticness and the chaoticness of life tends to start I don't know depending on your household it could start at six it could start at seven but I think that this idea that you know getting up early you know used to be sold as like a productivity you know wake up earlier so you can do more and so sometimes when I say to people no it doesn't have to be it could just be solitude could just be time for journaling or reading or sitting in the garden with your coffee it doesn't it sometimes seems a bit counterintuitive because they're like well if you're getting up early isn't it to just like smash loads of stuff and I'm like (laughs) not necessarily it can just be solitude because it's really hard to find any solitude for the rest of the day right yeah and I feel like if that hour's gone my way so I've had that peace and quiet and just time you know time to think it's not like you say it's not about smashing things it's just about kind of that time that space I feel like if that hour's gone my way then I'm more confident that the rest of the day will go my way too whereas when it goes awry I don't know I press snooze a little bit or you know you know something a child's ill I'm a bit more like I just don't feel like I've got that sense of calm and control and I just need that with the amount of things that I have on and how much you know my business is very dependent on me so me going into that day feeling that I've got a sense of calm and a sense of control I just I know that that helps me to be at my best and that hour first thing sets me up for that yeah for sure I mean don't get me wrong sometimes it is about smashing through things and actually (laughs) Monday this Monday this week was a classic example where I had my almost my perfect kind of you know cliche power hour I was literally living my brand got up early I had honestly had about 15 things on on a to-do list and I knew that this week was going to be quite busy and my son finishes school for the summer holidays uh, at midweek and I basically did as many things as I could I think the power hour actually spilled into about 90 minutes and I just got so many things done some of it was super boring as well like literally this is how boring some of the things on my list were registering my brown bin for garden waste collection I mean who that's the thing that you just keep that's the thing you just keep moving on your to-do list because you're like forget it and then you're like I actually need to do that so basically powered through this list and then in my first morning meeting I was literally that smug person I was like oh my gosh I was like I smashed my to-do list this morning I've done a workout I've done it and they all just went you're so annoying. You are so annoying. You just make me feel like crap. And I was like, no, but it's the only, like, trust me, it gave me such a different energy going into the week, not because of the garden waste, but because I basically was like, all those little niggly things that are like, you know, I need to do this and I must remember that. And I've got to email this person. And it kind of gives you a freedom, like all those things, like a weight off my shoulders to be like, ah, I've actually, yeah, actioned loads of things. And I don't have that kind of dripping tap at the back of my mind, trying to remember, do this, do this, do this, do this. It just, honestly, if you, if you haven't tried it and you think that we are 
aliens just give it a try because it can just be such a game changer for the rest of not just for that day the whole week has been better as a result of that one hour i love it i feel like i need to go do something with garden waste straight away (laughs) (laughs) what a rubbish thing but like i said there was other things on the list that were a little bit better like like probably emailing you to you know to to confirm a time so yeah it was it was a good start but so before i move on to the quick fire round can you tell listeners of the show where they can find you where they can connect with you your podcast your book all of it Oh, absolutely. So uh, if you like listening to podcasts, which I presume you do because you listen to this one, um, then our podcast is the Squiggly Careers podcast and you can you can find that everywhere you find podcasts. Um, and then probably Instagram at Amazing If. Um, so that's where we share tips and tools and, and loads and loads of free resources to help people with their career. Um, and then if you like that stuff, they'll, you can find us in other places, but I'd start there. Brilliant. Thank you, Helen. Okay, so quick fire round. So my first question is, what is one thing that brings you joy that you love, makes your day or your life better, which you bought for one hundred pounds or less? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Uh, a <laughs> pair of yellow shoes. <laughs> Great one. They just make me happy. They're like sunshine on my feet and I can look down at my desk when I'm not going anywhere in the current environment and think, Oh, at least at least my shoes make me smile. So there you go. I love that. Okay, what is one book that you would recommend that anyone Maybe we'll make it career focused. Um, anyone should read. Oh, The Start Up of You by Reid Hoffman, who is one of the kind of founders of LinkedIn. Great practical book. Love it. Yes, I can second that. I read that book too. It's very, and it's quite short, isn't it? Mm, easy read. Yeah. Next one is, if you weren't doing what you were doing, Helen, if you weren't working in the career space, what would you be doing instead? I think I would still be in marketing. So a uh, majority of my career was in marketing. My last role was as commercial marketing director for Microsoft. And I love Microsoft. Uh, I think they're doing brilliant things for lots and lots of people across the world. So I'd probably still be there loving what I was doing at Microsoft. See, that makes a lot of sense to me now because I'm like, you are very structured, very organized, very creative. <laughs> and now I'm like, aha, systems and processes. Take note. <laughs> okay, and my last one is... Obviously, the power hour is about that one hour in the day. And I'm kind of obsessed with the concept of time, making the most of our time and that it is the most valuable thing that we have and can give to another person. So if I was to give you one extra hour each day, what would you use your extra hour to do? I would use it to I'd have 30 minutes to read about something, just really focused reading time and then 30 minutes to talk with somebody about what I'd learned but I think if you connect the two things, the knowledge and the discussion, I just think it makes it all better and richer. Wow. Do you see what I'm talking about, processes? This is, you're the first person to split their extra hour into two, where you're like, <laughs> I'm going to learn, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be productive. I mean, Helen, everyone, just take note, because you're honestly, I feel like you are, you're incredibly, you know, you're incredibly warm and incredibly modest, but what you do and the way you execute things, I think is so impressive to me because so many people talk about, you know, define this and work that. And Jordan Harbinger is another podcaster and professional who I really look up to in that way. But I think it's very different, the ability to execute those things. Everyone can write a plan. Everyone can write a to-do list. Everyone can talk it up. But execution is something that you do just so consistently and it's very very impressive Helen and I aspire to execute at the speed and the scale that you have oh you're very kind you're very kind it's not a really strength that I, I kind of hold in myself but it's nice to see that you spotted it so thank you 
Oh, you absolutely should. It is all true. So thank you so much. And thank you again for giving us your time. If you've enjoyed this episode, which I'm sure you have, then please do share it with others. You can rate, you can review it on iTunes. You can send it to somebody on, you know, Instagram stories, all of that. And every time you do, you know, I see every single one and I really do appreciate it. It helps to us to reach more people so we can book new guests and keep the power hour coming every single week. So thanks for tuning in. Stay safe and have an awesome week. Bye, Helen. Bye. Thanks everyone for tuning in to this week's episode. That is our season finale. I'm going to be taking a break over the summer and we'll be back in September with brand new Power Hour podcast episodes. We already have some incredible guests lined up. So I will see you in September. Have an awesome summer. Stay safe. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in to the Power Hour podcast. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.